Welcome to Tech's Talking from Alpha Engineering. Hear about the latest innovations, trade secrets, and technological threats. Alpha invites you to learn from our team of tech experts. Learn how to navigate the explosion of technical advances at home, in the workplace, and in the market. Welcome to Tech's Talking. I'm Patrice McCarran, and my special guest today is Robert McFarland, an IT professional of more than 22 years and somebody who's grown and changed as the industry has grown and changed. You are currently, Robert, with Capital Bank NA, whose headquarters are here in Rockville, Maryland. Now, Robert started supporting Capital Bank about 17 years ago, and nine and a half years ago was hired on a full-time basis. As the bank has grown, your role has shifted over the years from IT operations and infrastructure to your current role as the Corporate Information Security Manager and Privacy Officer, which I'm guessing doesn't fit on a business card very well. <laughs> no, or, or an email signature. <laughs> so that's a big switch over for you. Yeah, like uh, it's definitely different. I Going from mitigating the risks to uh, identifying and uh, making sure that we are uh, mitigating the risk on the, on the first line. As a consumer today, I think one of the big concerns is banking has changed so dramatically, not so much just in the last two years because of COVID, but prior to that, where we have seen a gradual shift to technologies that were unheard of even a decade ago. So mobile banking, apps, everything, the whole cosmetics of the industry has changed. And I think one of the questions becomes, how safe are all these technologies as we change the digital landscape of the banking industry? Can we start with some of the scary parts about it? getting hacked. So like, if you think about it, kind of going back to, you know, when I was a child or a teenager, or even a young adult, everything was inside the bank's four walls, inside the castle walls, right? If you had to go to a branch in order to, to do any kind of banking, you had to go inside the branch to do any kind of banking. Then they had ATM cards. You can, you can use an ATM card and you can use that anywhere. So you can spend that out of that uh, from there. Then they went to online banking, but the data is still kind of housed inside the bank, you know, the bank's four walls on their servers and their infrastructure. Uh, and then we've evolved with mobile banking. So now it's everywhere, internationally. You can get to it anywhere, anytime, and it's less, a lot less, if, if anything, in the branch. So if you think about that, your data is accessible anywhere in the, in the, in the world at any time. Is a lot different than the nine to five when the branch was open, you know, a decade or so ago. So things definitely have changed in the where the availability of your of your data, which can be scary and has its own risks that goes along with that. So as a consumer, I guess the big challenge is feeling comfortable doing your banking online, feeling comfortable using that ATM card. I mean, we've heard about identity theft. We hear about all the problems associated with us becoming more digital and the electronic transformation. So from a bank's perspective, because I'm the consumer and you're inside the bank, Mm -hmm. it's got to be brutally challenging to keep up with all that's going on on the criminal side of people trying to get to our money. Well, if you think about the the consumer, you know, you and me, as we're, you want to have access to your money anytime, anywhere. And if you think about it, you have third party applications. Not it's not just banking applications anymore. You have third third parties like a, a budgeting applications, you know, like like a Mint or a, a True Bill or something like that. That are all kind of gathering all your information and, and aggregating it all together, so that you're getting all your data in one place. So you know, if you think about 
opening that up to third parties like that, as well as to the criminals, it just gives more holes uh, and more opportunity for them to, to, to find the weaknesses to get to your data. Let's talk about, it said that 45% of internet users are now accessing bank websites. The usages for online banking has become so attractive now for hackers. They're saying, if you're banking, have your money insured. Is that a logical first step for everybody to check the security at their bank, or is that a given? Well, uh, most most banks are going to be uh, have FDIC insurance. You're going to have that already be insured up to that amount, you know, to the two hundred fifty thousand dollar amount that is by default. Going and passing insurance on that, that's going to be a personal choice on that. Okay. But most banks have regulatory requirements that really include strict security procedures and processes that will that protect your bank. So your information is going to be safe as long as the bank is doing what they're supposed to be doing. So first thing you want to do is when you decide to bank with a certain bank is to kind of do some research on them, see where they are and, and their performance uh, through the regulations. Those are all public documents that you can go on and you can look at whether it be a credit union through NCUA or through FDIC or whoever the regulator. Those are all public information. Do some research. If they have performance issues, then you may want to evaluate that as whether or not you, you feel safe of putting your money in the bank. If they have good performance things, then you, you can have some assurance that there's going to be an industry standard level of security that is going to be there. Many of the banks have done away with teller windows. And you can drive up and use something that's built into the machine there that lets you make a deposit or do a withdrawal. But a lot of the face-to-face is disappearing in the banking industry is that a good thing? Is that going to make it tougher for bankers down the road? It depends on how complex your transactions are. Getting and withdrawing money, that's a simple thing that's been solved. You know, depositing money is a simple thing that's been solved. But if you're, you know, applying for a loan or you're managing a money market or things like that, those are going to be more complex things. And you're probably going to want to use a branch for that. But things that you can do on your own, a digital, a mobile, or a kiosk are going to be the safest. Yeah, the safest for you. And the mobile apps that they've come out with for depositing checks, is that making it harder for the bank or easier for the bank? Well, it definitely increases the risk of fraud, but they do have some protections in place for that through certain verification steps. A lot of times there's probationary periods for your account to kind of to see what your patterns are so they can understand if there's a, a one-off or something like that that could raise a flag. Banks are investing in people that actually sit down and evaluate behavioral of your accounts. Does this look normal? Especially if you're with a big bank right now, they have these things already installed. But normally, like if you, you'll get a text saying, hey, we just saw you know a $100 charge at Dollar General or someplace <laughs> like that. And that's not a normal purchase for you. Did you purchase this? Yes or no? Those are the kind of things. And those are also being done with AI and behavioral analytics as well uh, to help uh, make those calls. But it, it just helps be more of a partnership with you to understand how you bank and how you spend your money and uh, manage your money. So they're really tracking your behavior. Yeah. That's neat. So tell me about the risk to consumers. Let's talk about some of the ones that we know of. Phishing, obviously, you know, you're clicking on a link, you think it's an, a letter from your bank, and you click on the link and you find out, oh my God, I'm entering information and it's not even my bank. What are some tips for your customers? What can they look out for? Should they avoid clicking the link and just pick up the phone, verify that it's legit. Any suggestions? Yeah, you should always take a double take when you get an email that's asking you to, to click on something. It may be legitimate, but you should always do a double take. Maybe think about, instead of clicking on the link, go directly to the bank's website or to the company's website that's sent it to you and go to a known good source 
of that link or of that information to do with it is. You can always validate it by calling through a publicly provided published number as well to validate and ask those questions as well. It's always in your best interest that if it doesn't feel right, you should go a next step further and validate that. So when I'm at Starbucks, I shouldn't be checking my bank account at all. Well, <laughs> public Wi-Fi. Yeah, you should avoid public Wi-Fi. Um, really, at almost all, I would say at all. But, but if you're going to use public Wi-Fi, which, uh, you know, sometimes is, is the convenience factor or it's an it's a immediate need. Sure. Use a VPN service. So you're not on the bank's public Wi-Fi because there's a lot of opportunity for the not you don't know the hygiene that that coffee place or the grocery store or your neighbor's uh, sure. <laughs> internet is and right. you don't know what's on that network beside there and they could be definitely be sniffing that information out do you encounter i know the banking industry has but has it been your experience that people have dealt with copycat websites where it looks like your website but they're actually logging on and it's not absolutely that is a that's a, a big problem actually i've seen where they've actually duplicated and scraped the entire website that looks just like the same website that the bank has all they did was change the name i mean even the ceo was the same ceo wow <laughs> like so those kind of things and and the only thing that was different is when you clicked on the open up an account Mm-hmm. It came up with their web page that collects all your personal information to open up an account. So if you think about all the information you give right. to, to open an account, you're giving all that information away. We talked about a virtual private network. A lot of home-based people don't have VPNs. Mm-hmm. Is there an option around a VPN or is it a smart move at this juncture in what's going on with cyber criminals for people to invest in a VPN? Well, a VPN... There are a lot of services out there that make it really easy to do. It's good because what it does is it really masks your traffic from a local standpoint, right? So if you don't have a secure internet, Wi-Fi should never really be considered secure. Uh, there's lots of methods out there, and they're doing a lot of good things, but those kind of get the low-level sure. uh, criminals out there to, to keep from— Bottom feeders. Bottom feeders, <laughs> right. But uh, if there's someone wants your information, they're, they're going to get it. In fact, uh, what I would actually say is that you should already assume that your information is out there. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Your information is out there. You should protect your data the best way that you can is really the best way I can say that. So, and VPN is a tool in that toolbox, but it's not the, you know, the one stop. Consumers play a big role, apparently, in all the fraud that has happened with the financial sector. What are some key tips that you would give people that will help protect them? like changing your password on a frequent basis, which in itself becomes mind-boggling after a while when you have 50 different passwords. Always enable MFA, multi-factor authentication. Okay. So even if your password has been compromised, there's an extra step there, you know, that can help prevent them from actually gaining control of you, of whatever their uh, account they're trying to get to, whether it be your email, your bank account, your rewards account, or whatever sure. it is. Uh, you know, all information is valuable. Even if you, don't th- if you don't think it is, all information is valuable to them. And it seems like a lot of the national sites or the commonly used sites are already doing it themselves. Yeah. But you can set it up personally, correct? Correct. Uh, most sites are getting on board that. Google just made Gmail mandatory the last several months ago. So it should be a common thing for you now. And you just go ahead and it's something that you should just accept as part of the process. When you log in, you're going to get a text and put in a code or you get a push uh, notification and you hit I approve. Those kind of things are going to be a really good. It's going to knock down probably 80% of any of attempts to be able to get into your account. 
So when I type on, when I go to do my online banking or pay bills or whatever, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to save the website and just go back to it repeatedly. You should type it out each time. Is that correct? That is definitely a good method as well. You should not save your passwords. Uh, in fact, what I w- one of the things I recommend also is use a password manager. Password managers are going to save those passwords for you in a secure manner. And they're also going to autofill those for you on these websites as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. And the other good thing about password managers is that you can create separate vaults. Several of you can create separate vaults to be able to share those with people that also use those. So if you have a Netflix account for your family, you can share that one vault with your family that, that shares a Netflix password. Wow. Or if you have an elderly parent or something like that, you can do it for estate planning. So their bank accounts and, and, and things like that, that you would need access to help them manage that in their later in life. There's a lot of flexibility now in these password managers. Password managers are also going to give you a way to, to to create by default complex long passwords that don't mean anything and they can be different and they'll be different from other sites. One of the most common screwed up ones is the people that use one, two, three, four. Correct. So obvious. First time I read that, I went, oops, guilty as charged. Or, or a password <laughs> even, right? Or even when you lock your phone, but you still use the, the pen one, two, three, four on your phone. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's pointless. I still have a device that has one, two, three, four on it, and I don't think I'm going to ever change it. So obviously the banks are attractive because the volume of money that you deal with. What are the types of fraud issues that you guys deal with in terms of the consumers coming to you about their money? So despite the perspective, it's not really about, they're not after the money. They're after your information. Information is the most is the most valuable for them. Obviously, they, if you can get to your money, they would definitely like to do that. But they're more about the information. Information is what is sold on the on the dark web. Your credit card numbers, your contact information, you know, your email address, the people that you know. Sometimes you're just a, you just end up being kind of a, a middleman. They just want to get into your account so they can get to all your contacts. So all it does is kind of spider out uh, and exponentially of have the volume that they can go after. So the data is really the most important. Is that why so many people that have an identity fraud situation, mm-hmm. it's estimated the loss is $850 for a typical attack? That's pretty low considering... Yeah, I'm surprised at how low that number is. I would think it'd be higher than that. Right. And I, and I, I just went, really? You went to all that trouble for just $850? Well, I would probably attribute that a little bit to that is that the banks have actually put in a lot of measures now to help with identity fraud, including credit reporting agencies and things like that that give tools to the consumers to be able to identify when there's a identity fraud happening and, and shut it down as quickly as possible. So it may be the, that low number may be attributed to some of the tools that they have out there now to, to quickly identify and stop it before it gets too far. So COVID and the pandemic dramatically changed every industry you look at today. Restaurants, banking, it's mind-boggling how much change that we've accrued just by the sheer force of this pandemic. In terms of the banking industry, what were the biggest changes that you saw? Having to work remote. Banking typically is a, from an employee standpoint was in-person. And now we're working, getting remote access into systems that we didn't have, typically have remote access into. Dealing with customers out of our home. So there's data and privacy issues that we'd have to think about that when bank employees are speaking with customers, you know, making sure that data still remains private. And even in your own personal home, think about, you know, family members and other people that just have access to your home. It, it's got to be difficult from a uh 
behavioral standpoint because you don't have necessarily the firsthand relationship that you had when somebody had to walk into the bank to do business with you. Yeah, especially if you're a business or uh, like a self-employed business, they get to know you and they get to know your patterns and they get to have that relationship and they can help you understand what your your banking needs are and customize the the way that you bank that way uh, remotely becomes very impersonal, right? It's, it's tough to, it's tough to do. So are we going to see more and more people emerging from the bank side to handle the technology behind driving digital and, and the online applications? Are we going to see more bank employees gravitating to those jobs as opposed to having 15 tellers when you walk up to the door? There might now be a bigger staff behind the scenes keeping the technology current with times. Well, I would I would definitely say there's going to be a higher focus on technology and, and the jobs behind that. I think just culture, even before pre-pandemic, they were leaning more towards a mobile. Like it was again, it was you started in the branches, then went to online banking, then went to mobile. Now it, it's it's really most people do banking on their mo- their phone. They, they don't even open up online banking on the on their personal computers. So if you think about that, if it's mobile, the branches become less relevant unless you're doing some complex banking. You know, especially from you know from loans and other types of banking that you do for estate management and wealth management, things like that are going to be a little bit more complex and they need to have that relationship to have that, that invest the, uh, the personal touch that yeah, people had sorry. before. Yeah, sorry. So 44% of Americans are using mobile apps for their banking now. That sounds low to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not one of them yet. And one of my fears has always been, boy, if I do it on my phone, well, that's one of the challenges we have, too, is you have a pretty broad gr- uh, demographic as well, right? You have baby boomers that are moving into a retirement age. They're not as – most are not as tech-savvy as, as their children and their chil- and their grandchildren are. If you look at the migration, I, I'm a child of a baby boomer, and I grew up in on- online banking. Well, my, my children are banking using mobile apps. So they're, if you just look at the generational yes. gaps, the behavior is that. So the, the branches are starting to become less relevant as we migrate through the, the generations. Do you believe that that has a lot to do with why a lot of the branches are shutting down? Because there's a super consolidation going on. I mean, we went to, geez, less than 16,000 banks are predicted to be mm-hmm. available by 2030, which is a fraction of what they were even 15 years ago. Yeah, branches can be expensive to operate. Uh, you know, you have people, you have real estate that you have to you know, have to rent or lease or own, and all the things that go along with that. Uh, those are those could be expensive to operate, and if you're not getting the traffic in the branch to justify that, it's 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 a tough from a business decision to to keep those open, especially if a lot of your you know most of your banking can be done through a mobile app. Sure. Yeah. What are the downsides of, of going contactless with your customers? The downsides? Yeah. Again, that personal touch okay. right? uh, and having someone understand what your needs are and, and making sure they develop solutions to help you get the, you know, make the best bang out of your buck. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right? sure. Uh, and, plan, and plan for the future as well. The more digital you are, the more, more target you are as well, right? So we have to kind of get into a zero trust model. That's a kind of a, a buzzword in the industry as well as a zero trust model that you can't trust anything. You can't trust a personal a mobile device. You can't trust anything. So everything has to be uh, authenticated properly, uh, securely, uh, no matter what it is. There's no more of like if it's inside these four walls, it's, no, it's, it's okay. That's not true because there's really not a there's not a four wall castle anymore. Everything is kind of wide open in its own little bubble. Where do you see the future of banking for Maryland? 
with all the regulations, are they keeping pace with the needs of the banking industry? Well, one of the things that we're, it's not just specifically Maryland, but that the regulation, the regulators are having trouble with is cloud computing. That is something that has taken off significantly over the past several years. And the banks are now starting to, you know, get into those environments as well. And having these hybrid environments uh, that, that, that they're not, that we didn't have before where we're looking at cloud computing with, you know, in a Google or Azure or AWS uh, infrastructure now into uh, in, to also m- uh, mesh with our on-premise uh, network and having that trust set up and having that infrastructure available to you is, is managed differently than it would be if it was, you know, as it traditionally has been. 20 years ago, did you think that your career would be this dynamic and in demand? Honestly, no. But that's one of the exciting <laughs> things about IT, and it's one of the things that, that brought me into IT is that it's, it changes so, so much, and it's changed so quickly. And your best advice to the typical person tuning in to be safe? Best advice? Mm-hmm. Don't use the same password on any site and use a password manager. Wonderful. Also, another tip, uh, if you want more information on some of the scams that are going on where your money is concerned, you can check out the Federal Trade Commission's website. They do have a lot of literature available and the American Banking Association as well, which um, even has some programs for seniors available to help them spot some of the scams. Robert, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for joining us on Text Talking. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for Text Talking from Alpha Engineering. If you have questions or a topic you'd like us to tackle, drop us an email at info at alphaemgr.com. Your digital world changes daily. Our job at Alpha is to simplify your job with solutions. We'll see you next time on Text Talking from Alpha.